Our Bible reading this morning is taken from, the first of the Bible readings this morning is taken from Luke chapter 6, reading from verse 27 to verse 35, and you can find it on page 976 of the Church Bibles. Love your enemies. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have others do them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the grateful and the wicked. And the second reading is Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, on page 916. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Amen. I realized as I was um, preparing to speak this morning on these two passages that... um, There's a whole series in what the Bible has to say about peace, um, which is what we're exploring today. So I've got a lot to say in a short amount of time, Um, but there's perhaps a lot that we'll come back to as we think about what it is to be peacemakers, what it is to know God's peace. One of my reflections in recent weeks is on how normal the absence of peacemaking, of peace has become in our lives, we'll all have seen um, the events in London, in Manchester, um, in the towers this last week, um, and we'll all have lamented the pain and sorrow of people who have lost lives, who have lost homes and loved ones and property. And one of the stark realities of such incidents is that they're increasingly common. Um, So when I think back to my childhood, um, I used to watch breakfast news when I was having my breakfast and waiting to go out to the school bus. Uh, And and I just remember, you know, when there was a significant news story, it was a big, big thing um, that I really noticed that stayed on my mind throughout the days ahead. And I kept coming back to the news thinking, what's happening with this now? You know, what are the latest updates? And one of the things that we have to uh, look at is the reality that we're so used to seeing um, violence in our world, on our news screens, 
that we become slightly normalized to its reality um, in the world. And so sometimes we see it on the news and it passes us by, not because we don't care, but because we're so used to seeing it. And we have to keep ourselves in check and balance about that, that we do pay attention because these lives, uh, these um, incidents are so powerful to those caught up in them. I want to tell you a story this morning, if I may. Um, It's a story that was featured in um, a news magazine called Newsweek in 2012. It's a story about two friends who are unlikely friends in the Middle East. Ronnie Kadar's house is close to the Gaza Strip, so close that when the border heats up, she hears the attacks from both sides. The thud of Israeli missiles hammering targets inside the Hamas-controlled area and the whoosh of Palestinian rockets being launched into Israel. When the fighting begins, when the fighting began again a couple of weeks ago, The 69-year-old Israeli took extra precautions. She moved her bed to the bomb shelter adjoining her kitchen so she and her husband wouldn't have to get up when the sirens wailed at night. He has a bad hip, so it's hard for him to move quickly, she told Newsnight last week at the home where they've lived for nearly 30 years. She said goodbye to her grown children as they relocated north um, to get their own children out of the line of fire. And then Kedar did something unusual for most Israelis. She texted a Palestinian friend in Gaza. The friend who, has asked, uh, who asked the reporter that she be called Mimi Ibrahim opened the conversation on the second day of fighting as Israeli airstrikes shook homes throughout the crowded enclave. Hi, Ronnie, she wrote. I hope you and your family are well and safe. What's happening is really insane. Please take care and stay safe. Love, Mimi. Kedar felt the warmth of the gesture, but also the sheer weirdness of the circumstances. Rockets fired from Gaza, maybe even from Ibrahim's neighborhood, were raining down around Kedar's tiny house in the farming community every day. Thank you for your concern, Kedar replied. I'm thinking of you since it all started, and I hope you and your family are okay. If only our leaders would talk, take care. It took only a minute for Ibrahim to respond. Our leaders don't care about us. The situation is really bad, and I expect it to get worse. I hear bombing everywhere. We are safe so far. Take care. And Ronnie, during the publicity that followed the article's publication, is quoted as saying, violence is not getting us closer to a better future. Violence is not getting us closer (coughs) to a better future. And Jesus says, blessed, highly honoured, most favoured are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And this series that we're in at the moment is talking about and exploring the meaning of the Beatitudes as they apply to our lives and through them understanding what we mean when we talk about the kingdom of God, the better future that Ronnie longed for, the better future which Christians hope for as we see God's kingdom built. (coughs) And if while I cough you could open your Bibles again and go to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 39, then we'll look at what that has to tell us. 
We're going to explore a few Bible passages this morning. Um, So if you want to keep your Bibles open and want to follow, you can. If you don't want to, then that's also fine. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 39. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Depending on whether you're a person who's wide in a flight or fight response, it might be really difficult for you not to hit someone back if they hit you because your body's wired in such a way that your instincts, that most natural thing within you, is to fight or slap back. Some of you might be wired with a flight response and so your natural instinct is to get away from the danger. Whichever one is your instinctive reaction to this, Jesus says, I'm, um, do not resist an evil person. And in saying this, Jesus is, is not saying um, uh, submit to evil. Jesus is not saying submit to evil. Rather, he's saying oppose it on its own terms. So when Jesus says, do not resist evil, he's saying oppose that evil, but on its own terms. Um, so instead of that instinctive reaction to hit someone back if they hit us, resist it, um, because in so doing, we reveal um, the peacemaking that God calls us to. We see um, this um, submission um, again in Matthew 26, if you want to turn there. It's just a few chapters on, <coughs> quite a few chapters on, in fact. <coughs> Matthew 26. And later on in Matthew 26, we encounter um, Judas, we encounter the high priest's servant, and we encounter a disciple whom we believe to be Peter. I'll just read to you a few verses. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward and seized Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of a high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? So Jesus rebuked the disciple, rebuked Peter for cutting off the high priest's servant ear with the words, all who live with the sword will die by the sword. One of the realities we find so difficult about the cause of the extremists is holding in tension the reality, the futility of their acts, but the pain of those who lose lives and lose loved ones and lose property. But one of the greatest sources of human um, hope and endeavour is that human beings just have this um, remarkable ability to get back up, to go to school the next day, to go into their offices, to speak to their friends, to have parties and to keep going. I was going to show you um, a picture that came out as a tube sign. You know they have those quotes when you go through the London Underground uh, outside some tube stations and there was a wonderful one which I now understand to be fake. But it said something like... um, 
you know, you can keep doing this to us, but we'll keep smiling and we'll drink tea and we'll keep going. Just a wonderful human spirit coming out, even in the midst of awful tragedy. And in Luke chapter 6, which we heard Alfred read to us, we find out, um, we find out that we are to love our enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. This is radical stuff. If someone is slandering you, if someone is calling you every name under the sun, if someone is spreading gossip, uh, malicious gossip about you, it can be hard to have any sense of affection for them. It can be hard to have any sense of wanting to pray for that person. But this is exactly the standard which Jesus calls us to embody so that the world might see an alternative way of living. Because for as long as we keep embodying the same, you hit me, I'll hit you, you slagged me off, so I'll slag you off. As long as we keep embodying that vicious cycle, then there will be no alternative seen. And we will not see the kingdom of God being revealed in our midst. But if there are people who will, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, embody this alternative way of living, then we can see a, a better future, as Ronnie said. So there's a radicalism here for the peacemaker. The disciples might get their cheeks slapped. Jesus did go to the cross, and we begin to realize that whilst peacemaking is not without its cost, it does, um, <coughs> to take Ronnie's words, help move us towards a better future. In the Old Testament of the Bible, we find the word shalom used for peace, the Hebrew word shalom. Um, if you come from a Jewish family, you might say the word Shabbat shalom before sharing Passover um, together. Um, shalom is a word used over 250 times in the Old Testament, um, and it's far more than just a nice, um, I hope nothing bad happens to you, I hope your week's going well, something that we might say passively to each other as we encounter friends during the week. <coughs> Shalom actually means, I wish everything about your life well. I wish you well in your health. I wish you well in your prosperity. I wish your family and friends well. And I sincerely wish that no harm may befall you. So it's a kind blessing of peace to say these sort of things um, to each other. And we read um, these words earlier on in our service as we baptised Maisie and Alfie this morning from the book of Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. And the peace mentioned here, that is shalom, is about more than just kindness and well-being for ourselves. The Bible constantly links it to justice, fairness, and righteousness. Peacemaking is an active pursuit of God's kingdom. It's an active seeking of justice for victims of crime. It's an active seeking of support for people who are hungry or require clothing or have suffered an injustice. It's an active pursuit of the revelation of God's kingdom. And if we had the time, and we don't, um, but you want to note it down and explore later, um, you'll find this example of the flourishing of shalom, of peace, in 1 Kings 4, 20 to 25. 1 Kings 4, 20 to 25. 
But just to summarize that passage, we find the people of Judah and Israel enjoying a time of great flourishing under the leadership of Solomon, uh, who was king in the ninth century. It was a time of peace that was expressed in unity, prosperity, and security for the people of Israel. Sadly, it didn't last more than a couple of decades, but the the presence of it there in the scriptures can give us hope that in our time of unrest um, and atrocities being committed, that there are times of flourishing that God will bring in. We can hope realistically for peace. So in the Old Testament, we encounter Shalom. In the New Testament, we encounter Jesus Christ whose kingdom of peace we read about in Isaiah. So I'm going to read some verses which are more commonly read at Christmas time from the book of Isaiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and of peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So Jesus' kingdom is one where peace is restored, but this peace that Jesus restores and this kingdom which Jesus reigns over as king was bought at the price of God's son. Later on in Isaiah 53, we read these powerful and poignant words. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, brought us shalom, well-being, was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Chris shared with us last week that purity is not something that through our own endeavours, through our own merits, we can achieve because, you know, we'll get things wrong to varying degrees. So um, God's gift of purity comes just as that, a gift, a supernatural gift from God. And I want to suggest to you that peace is in that exact same vein, that um, the peace which we seek, the peace which brings Israelis and Palestinians together, the peace which reconciles our minds and our hearts and our own lives, peace which can lay aside conflict within our families and friendship circles, which has divided us and torn apart otherwise good relationships. Um, That peace has to come from the Father. That peace has to come from a God whose love can transcend our divisions. So I want to suggest to you that peace is a gift this morning. But it's a gift that, like all gifts, once we receive a gift, we can do something with it, whether it's a child's toy that is given and they unwrap it and they use it to play with, or whether it's a gift that we use um, as adults, we take gifts and we use them. And so we need to use this gift of peace to be peacemakers, um, to to support um, friends who are struggling, to help people discover peace of Christ, to help people discover God's justice through projects like Food Bank, Um, and and, and other projects that bless people. And through living this peace as children of God, we are reconciled in the world with the Father. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you came and brought us peace that transcends, passes our understanding. 
for all who are troubled here this morning, for all of anxious heart. We pray that your peace would come and set our minds, our hearts at rest. To people here this morning who are overwhelmed by what life has thrown at them, what they're dealing with, we pray that, God, you would bring your peace as healing in their lives. And, Father, we continue to pray for the world around us. We continue to pray for those who would commit atrocities in the name of religion, that you would turn their hearts from evil to good. We pray for all who are struggling because of the tower fire, that you would bless the Red Cross and all organisations, including local churches, who are blessing those who are now without home or property and clothing. And we pray, use us to be your peacemakers in this world. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.